With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Let's have a look at today's lineup. There's a strong Dunn Stores influence from top to bottom, starting with selected boxes of bottled beer and cider like Heineken and Boomers from just €18.72. Half price Pringles are a very welcome inclusion indeed. 10 or 50 grocery vouchers doing their bit at the till as usual. All that's left to do now is enjoy the football. Dumb stores, always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Edmund Kemper became a killer at only 15 years old. After murdering his grandparents, he just couldn't shake the desire to kill. So after getting released from the youth authority, he went right back to killing. This is Monsters. Edmund Kemper III was born in Burbank, California, and was a large baby who would grow into a large man. He was 13 pounds at birth and would grow to be a 6-foot 9-inch man who towered over others. His father, Edmund Kemper Jr., served in World War II and then tested nuclear weapons in the Pacific Proving Grounds. His parents did not have a good relationship and his father once said, quote, suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testing were nothing compared to living with her, end quote referring to Edmund's mother. The couple ended up getting a divorce when Edmund was only nine years old, and he moved with his mother, Clarnell, to Helena, Montana. He would spend his time performing rituals with his sister's dolls that included cutting off their heads and hands. His mother would berate him for his size. He was six foot four inches by the time he was 15 years old. She locked him in the basement at night because she thought he might hurt his sisters. He describes his childhood in interviews years after his crimes. I developed some morbid games. Um, my life had started going that way at about eight. At a certain time of the evening, the family left the center room, the, the living room of the house. 
my mother and my sisters or my sisters themselves would go up to bed upstairs where I used to go to bed upstairs. I had to go down to the basement and an eight-year-old child had a tough time differentiating the reason in that. Why am I going to the basement? I'm going to hell or going to heaven. And what were those games that you played with your sister? Okay. Well, the one I remember uh, someone talking about in a, in a book was one that was playing gas chamber or electric chair or something. And we had this big old overstuffed chair up in my room. And we'd, we'd uh, it was not just my sister and I, it was my sister and I and a friend, close friend. We got into all these games. We got into one game where we'd roll up in a rug and a person would try to get out of it. It was just like a large throw rug. And it was, uh, I guess, what fascinated us individually about it is it was a completely, uh, it broke up the monotony, I guess, of what we were doing. Didn't have a lot of toys to play with. Uh, we got bored with those pretty quickly. So we looked for things to do. You roll up in the rug and, and you try to get out and the other two would leave the room and we see who could get out fastest. You know, you try to work your way out sideways or scoot out the end of it or whatever. And uh, we went from that to being tied in this overstuffed chair with a cord or something or, or pieces of sheet or sash or something. During interviews, Edmund would tell stories about killing two of his family's pet cats. The first he buried alive, then dug back up after it died. He decapitated it and then stuck its head on a pike. When his family found it, he convinced them that he had nothing to do with it. The second cat he killed out of jealousy when it started showing more affection to his younger sister, Alan. He stuffed the remains in his closet, which was later found by his mother. When Edmund was 13 years old, he ran away from home and went to live with his father in Van Nuys, California. Unfortunately, his father was remarried and had a stepson, so Edmund was only welcome to stay for a short while. The elder Kemper sent him back to Montana, but his mother was also about to remarry and didn't want him anymore, so he eventually went to live with his paternal grandparents, Edmund Sr. and Maud Kemper, who lived in North Fork, California about 45 miles or 72 kilometers northeast of Fresno. Edmund would later tell psychiatrists that his grandmother didn't treat him any better than his mother. She would push him around and tell him what to do. He had dark fantasies about killing his grandparents, but those thoughts were not new to him. He spent most of his childhood fantasizing about killing everyone around him. At the age of 15, he would finally get his chance. On August 27, 1964, Edmund got into an argument with Maud in the kitchen of their home on their 17-acre ranch. He stormed off, retrieved a hunting rifle, and when his grandmother told him not to shoot the birds, he turned and shot her in the head. He shot her twice more in the back and then dragged her body into the bedroom. When Edmund Sr. arrived home, the boy shot him as well and hid his body in the garage. Kemper, being only a teenager, didn't know what to do, so he called his mother and told her what he had done. She instructed him to call the police, which he did. He talks about the incident in a 1981 interview. It started coming to a head again, so I went back down. I ran away back down there. And then a month later, I'm up living with my grandparents in the mountains, and ten months later, I murdered them. It made it worse to be on top of a mountain. I was literally on top of a mountain when it happened. And I could sense, I sensed everybody in the world just stopping what they were doing, turning around, saw what I did, and are coming to get me. 
And I knew I was paranoid at that moment. I knew anybody that came up there and gave me a funny look or a fishy eye or quizzical look, I'd have blown their brains out thinking they were coming to get me. And if it had been in a city, I would have been a mass murderer at age 15. I would have killed until they gunned me down. I wouldn't have been able to reason my way out of it. I was scared to death and I was violent. I felt my back hit that wall. I was the rabbit that always ran, that always backed away, always burned his bridges. Suddenly there weren't any more. And my back hit that wall and I came out screaming and kicking and shooting. When police took him into custody, he told them that he killed his grandmother to see what it felt like. Psychiatrists would say that he transferred all of the anger he had for his mother onto his grandmother. They said he might have felt like the killings were revenge for the way his own parents treated him. He explained that he killed his grandfather so he didn't have to find his own wife dead. Edmund was sent to the California Youth Authority, where he underwent a number of tests while authorities were trying to figure out why this young boy could so coldly kill his grandparents. Psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia, and other tests showed him to have an IQ of 136, which was well above average. He was transferred to the Atascadero State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, where psychiatrists determined that he did not suffer from paranoid schizophrenia. Those doctors gave him another IQ test, which came back with a score of 145. While there, he was a model prisoner and was allowed to help administer some of the assessment devices. He used this as an opportunity to learn all he could about the assessments so he would know how to convince the staff to release him when he turned 21 years old. In the time that Edmund was in the psychiatric facility, his mother had remarried, becoming Clarenelle Strandberg, and subsequently gotten divorced. She had taken a job as an administrative assistant at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and lived in the neighboring town of Aptos. When Edmund was released in 1969, doctors advised that he not live with his mother as it could result in more violence. Unfortunately, those warnings were ignored and Edmund, with nowhere else to go, moved in with his mother. I got paroled to my mother. Atascadero decided that I didn't never need to talk to her again at all. Don't give her a Christmas present. Leave her alone. She got her pound of flesh out of you. I wasn't sniveling about my mother to them. I didn't like to hear what they had to say about her. She went through three husbands like a hot knife through butter. When Four the... months after I was out, I was back into the fantasy bag. My first date was an absolute disaster. It wasn't her fault. You know? And I didn't blame her even then. I'm saying it was a terrible tragedy, but boy, was it, boy, she didn't ever talk to me again. It was awful. It wasn't sexual or grabbing at her. I was just such a dork taking her to a John Wayne movie and Denny's. It's terrible. I'd never been on a date. At 16, that was cool, you know? I'd never been on a date, you know? I was locked up since I was 15. But I can't tell her that. After being locked up since he was a teenager, he had to learn how to be an adult. Edmund was eventually able to find a job and had moved out of his mother's house into a shared apartment. He had gotten into a motorcycle accident that gave him a $15,000 settlement, which he used to buy a car. He had modified the car so the passenger door wouldn't open from the inside. On May 7, 1972, Kemper picked up two Fresno State University students who were hitchhiking. They were Marianne Pesha and Anita Luchessa, both 18 years old. The girls had spent a couple of days in Berkeley and were looking for a ride to Stanford University. Edmund drove the girls to a secluded location and put Anita in the trunk while he strangled and then stabbed Marianne before slitting her throat. He then pulled Anita out of the trunk and stabbed her to death. 
Edmund brought the bodies back to his apartment, where he had sex with the corpses before dismembering them. He disposed of all the body parts besides the heads, which he kept to use for sexual purposes, and discarded them later. I found myself doing things in an attempt to make things fit together inside. I was doing sexual probings and things. I mean, in the sense of striking out and reaching out and grabbing and pulling to me, but appalled at the sense that it wasn't working. That isn't the way it's supposed to be. It isn't the way I want it. On December 14th, 15-year-old Aiko Koo missed her bus and decided to hitchhike to her dance class. Edmund picked her up and drove her to a remote area where he strangled and raped her. He dismembered her body and scattered the remains around the county. Again, he kept her head along with her hands, this time in the trunk of his car. He would later claim that these items were in the trunk of his car two days later when he had an appointment with two court-appointed psychiatrists. The third murder, which is the second incident, okay, uh, I'm in the middle of trying to get my record sealed, right? Thursday night, I killed her. I took off Friday. I didn't go to work. I called in sick, took CTO, all right? Dismembered her body, got rid of her body, but kept her head in her hands because they're identifiable. They're highly identifiable. I kept those at the apartment, okay? That Friday night, I, uh, Thursday night, I took her. Friday, uh, Friday morning she was dismembered. Friday night she was disposed of, right? Saturday morning I left, right? And I didn't have, I wasn't satisfied that I, I took the head along in the hands, but I didn't, I couldn't put them someplace that I would, could be sure they wouldn't be dug up by an animal or just be somewhere. It was, it's scary going out there trying to bury somebody or dispose of body parts in a community or out in the, even in the boonies where you don't know where you're at and who can come up at any moment. I had some real close calls there or people that come out of nowhere. And if, they, if a body's found and they remember this beige-looking car sitting there the night, that's evidence. So it was very, very hard to get rid of this stuff. So anyway, Saturday morning, I went to see the psychiatrist in Fresno. Saturday afternoon, I saw the other one. Saturday evening, I'm with my fiance and her family over in Turlock. Sunday night, I come back to my apartment. He was in the process of having his juvenile records sealed, and the doctors who saw him that day said, quote, I see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be a danger to himself or any other member of society, end quote. Edmund had moved back in with his mother by the time he had picked up 18-year-old Cindy Shaw on January 7, 1973. He took her out to a wooded area before shooting her with a twenty-two caliber rifle. He brought the body back to his mother's house and hid it in his bedroom until his mother left for work the following morning. He then had sex with the body before dismembering and disposing of her. He again kept the head for a few extra days and then buried it on the property with the head facing his bedroom window. On February 5th, he picked up 20-year-old Allison Liu and 20-year-old Rosalind Thorpe. By this time, police had advised hitchhikers in the area to only accept rides from people who had a university parking sticker on their vehicle. I guess they believed that a university student or staff member couldn't possibly be a killer. Since Kemper's mother worked at UC Santa Cruz, he was able to get a parking sticker for his car. He picked up the girls on the UCSC campus, and they quickly realized that he wasn't taking them in the right direction. He quickly pulled to the side of the road and shot them both with his rifle. He decapitated them that night and discarded the bodies. He discarded the heads the following day. On April 20, 1973, Claire Nell came home late from a party and went into her bedroom where she laid down and began reading a book. 
When she noticed that her son had awoken and was standing in the doorway, she said, quote, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now, end quote. He just responded, quote, No, good night, end quote. He would say in a later interview that he planned to kill his mother a week earlier. He believed that she had to die or else more young college girls would. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. And she went out to a party, she got soused, she came home, went to sleep. I was woken up by that, I got, came out, I walked up to her bed, she's laying there reading a paperback, as many thousands of nights before. And she said, oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Shit. I looked at her, I said, no, I said, good night. And I knew I was going to kill her, you know. And I'm so cold, it's so hard. And that's the first time in 10 years I've looked at it that way. I mean, that intensely, that honestly. It hurts. Because I'm not a lizard, I'm not from under a rock. I came out of her vagina, see. I came out of my mother. And in a rage, I went right back in. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son, is one of our arguments. I cut off her head, and, I'm, and I humiliated her corpse. So there. He waited in his room until she fell asleep and bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer. He decapitated her and used her head for sex. He later claimed that he used her head as a dartboard and put it on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour. Instead of ending his killing spree there, he called one of his mother's friends, 59-year-old Sally Hallett, and invited her over for dinner. Once she arrived, he strangled her with his bare hands and put her body in a closet. He cleaned up and left a note that read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this, quote, murderous butcher, end quote. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a, quote, lack of time, end quote. I got things to do. Edmund drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, thinking he was fleeing a massive manhunt. But when he got to town, there was nothing on the news about him. He called the Santa Cruz Police Department and tried to confess to the murder of his mother, but they thought it was a prank call. He had to call back and convince police to check out his story. Once they went to his mother's house and discovered the bodies, police picked him up from the phone booth where he had made the call. Once in custody, he confessed to the co-ed murders and led police to all the places where he had disposed of body parts. In interviews that happened years after the murders, Edmund said that he gave himself up because, quote, it had to stop, end quote. He said that he had wanted to give himself up many times before, but once he killed his mother, there was no way he could back out. He never explained why he fled to Pueblo, Colorado. At trial, his defense tried to argue that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. Edmund took the stand and claimed that there were two people inside his body, and when the killer took over, it was like blacking out. Multiple psychiatrists deemed him sane, and the prosecution argued that he showed pre-planning and made efforts to cover up his crimes. Both are signs that he knew what he was doing at the time was wrong. 
On November 8, 1973, Edmund Kemper was found guilty of eight counts of first-degree murder. Kemper himself requested the death penalty, specifically death by torture, but California had a moratorium on capital punishment at the time. He received seven years to life on each count to be served concurrently, which made him eligible for parole in 1979. It's absolutely insane that someone could kill, sexually assault, and dismember the bodies of eight people and be given the opportunity for parole just seven years later. Edmund has been denied parole nine times and has waived his right to a hearing four times. He will be eligible for parole again in 2024. It's unlikely it will ever be granted. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King prawn cocktail and oak and peat cold smoked salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher abused to next grocery shop of €50 or more.